Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Schneider Electric MEA Goes Green. We are talking wildlife, particularly conservation. And we have Tanzid Alam. He is the MD of Earth Matters Consulting. Tanzid, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Alex. Very nice to be back on. Now, Tanzid, let's talk about conservation because we had an event recently, which was the election of the first um, Arab and Arab woman to the IUCN, the International Union Conservation of Nature. Tell us a little bit about the background behind this and what Rosanna Mubarak's election could mean for our focus on conservation of the environment in the region. Sure. Well, firstly, I think this is really fantastic news for the region and um, for women more generally, not just Arab women. Um, Razan, Her Excellency Razan al-Mubarak um, is only the second woman in the history, the 73-year-old history of the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, the organization's history to be elected president. So um, after Yolanda Kakabadze, um, who incidentally also endorsed Her Excellency Razan's uh, campaign, um, and her candidacy as president. So this is really good news because actually, you know, I, I personally actually studied with Her Excellency Razan in, in London many years ago and we were studying for our master's together at UCL. So she's got a strong academic kind of and background in conservation and environmental issues um, with a lot of credibility in the matter and, and she's very passionate about it as well. And um, I think having someone young like her in that role uh, will give a lot more renewed momentum and much needed um, kind of global prioritization of the topic of conservation. Um, IUCN do some amazing work and um, they've created some really fantastic tools and indicators like the red list for species that track whether a species is threatened or near extinct and so on. So but also kind of the rate at which we're losing nature around the world and, and our wild areas is so alarming that it really needs a change and step change in momentum to to address the status quo because um and, and she's a dynamic person who can actually make that change happen so i think it it spells a lot of positive news not just for the region but globally for the conservation movement and Tanzid, why does this matter for us, particularly now? You know, we are a month out of COP26. There's a big focus on climate change and the environment. But why does biodiversity matter for us as humanity? Sure. Well, biodiversity essentially means kind of life on Earth. You know, and, and Earth, uh, we have a living planet that we as human beings share and rely on um, the wildlife and nature around us to actually regulate our climate without kind of um, biodiversity and wildlife, we wouldn't have a stable climate to breathe and, and to produce our food and and live the lives that we have and have the resources that we can use. And the degradation of the natural biodiversity in the world is going to harm us more and more. Um, and even um, climate change is, is projected to have a further impact on biodiversity. So the two issues are connected in that biodiversity helps to regulate the climate. But at the same, you know, whether it's trees absorbing CO2 and, and creating kind of microclimates and helping to to clean our water and so on, to um, climate change and increased heat waves and, and kind of flooding and temp and storms also affecting our our um, biodiversity as well. I mean, just look around us this year around the world, the wildfires that we experienced in Europe and 
in North America, for example, even just before COVID, the, the devastation of the bushfires in, in Australia, you know, that killed over a billion species in Australia alone. So there, there's huge kind of impacts there and, and it's a connected system and it requires a connected and an integrated approach. So biodiversity hasn't always had the prioritization that an issue like climate change has had. But unfortunately, we're not doing very well on either of them. We're not doing well on climate change. We're not doing well on biodiversity. And those two are fundamental for human well-being and survival. Now, I also want to touch back on a piece of research you have pushed out only recently, which is the issue of um, biodiversity, the link between biodiversity and pandemics and also obviously related to that our relationship with biodiversity and and wildlife tell us a little bit more about this sure well thank you for giving the opportunity to explain why we even developed this at earth matters so um you know at earth matters our, our mission is really to help solve uh, major issues that the world is facing, like the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis. And we do that through some independent thought leadership pieces. And this was one of them. And actually, the story behind it was that the topic um, I first started thinking about during the lockdown last year, um, when when I was seeing a lot of the narrative being focused around, oh, how do we deal with this pandemic? How do we get more PPE out there? How do we develop more? How do we develop the vaccination programs? And while that's really important, I felt that a big part of the narrative was really missing a focus on what's really causing this, what's driving, what has driven the cause of this pandemic. And we are facing, you know, a lot of the major diseases that the world is facing comes from animal, uh, our animal in origin. So some 60 to 70% of the diseases in the last kind of 30 to 40 years have been zoonotic or animal in origin coming from natural areas because human beings, we have been destroying nature and, and wild areas. And that puts human beings in closer proximity to nature. We, we go there more to actually exploit it to and, and wild animals need to find new areas to live in. And um, when you look at kind of um, animals like bats, for example, they are a natural reservoir for many different types of coronaviruses. And bats are also one of the first species to flee areas that are being degraded by human activity. So they jump to another area to try and live and survive there and they carry with them those viruses so they're a lot more transmissible through species like bats uh, and potentially into other interim species which can then jump to human beings so um so it's not just um this this current coronavirus but if you look at um uh sars the epidemic that happened in 2003 in in, in southeast asia that was also declared a pandemic that jumped from um, civet cats to human beings um, MERS, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, was a coronavirus that jumped from camels in Saudi Arabia to humans. So it's our interaction and the way in which we're using nature and wildlife um, that's causing more and more of these problems to arise. Um, even if you look at Lyme disease in, in North America, that's from ticks you know, on cattle and horses, because farms are becoming in, coming in closer and cl as they're expanding agricultural land, is coming in closer and closer proximity to wild areas where the ticks then have to find new hosts and they jump to cattle and then it jumps to human beings and affects us. So it's this, um, this aspect of zoonotic diseases and um, and, you know, in this case, we're facing a major pandemic that we haven't seen for over 100 years. Um, 
that made me think, well, we, we're not really addressing the root cause of this, which is our damage and destruction of ecosystems and wildlife. Now, Tanzid, one more question for you uh, in terms of this. What can businesses do to support uh, promoting biodiversity? What can we do to help um, ensure that you know, we, we don't lose you know, all of the fauna and all of the um, the nature around us, which essentially is fundamental to how we live on this planet? Mm. Well, firstly, I'd say um, it's in business's interest to deal with, to, to start prioritizing these issues in terms of um, investments. And, you know, we've seen that actually business activities decimated by um, a global pandemic. So it's in our interest for there to be a good solution to it. So that's one thing. It makes good business sense to be prepared. Now, in our policy brief, one of our main recommendations is this is a global issue that needs to be coordinated globally, not just between governments, but we recommend you we establish an intergovernmental council with governments, NGOs, businesses, and indigenous people um, who a lot of the time are on the on the ground zero of, of um, destruction of nature and, and kind of are most affected by the activities that uh, they, they should have an equal voice. So businesses should be at the table to agree these sorts of goals on integrating a One Health approach. Then our second recommendation is actually there's a need to create a global fund for pandemic prevention, which focuses on this whole and actions and funding to protect ecosystems and wildlife trade regulation. Now that fund shouldn't just be publicly financed. It should have some government public financing, but it should include private financing as well. So because the private sector could actually leverage much greater finance than, than public sector. So there's a lot of evidence out there and, and of, of funds being created like that. And, and that globally, what we really need is, a, uh, is a, to raise about between 22 to $31 billion. That's what the um, uh, global panel of biodiversity experts have predicted to help to, needed annually for pandemic prevention around these sorts of measures around monitoring and reducing wildlife trade programs to reduce spillovers, early detection and control, reducing deforestation. Some of these, um, and if you think about it, the, the COVID pandemic already by July 2020 cost the world between eight and $16 trillion. So an investment of between 22 to $31 billion can actually help avoid these sorts of things happening for, at the root cause. It's a pretty good cost-benefit return, I'd say, um, for us to avoid something like this in the future. And there's one specific area as well I want to focus on, which is the issue of, of agriculture and farming. Wildlife is is essential to to our agriculture, to pollinating crops. Yes, absolutely. And 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 you know, there's two aspects to it. You touched on it. You know, having pollinators like bees and butterflies to actually make sure that seeds and, wow. and pollen can be dispersed and gives resilience to our systems. And has you know, it's been quantified has many trillions of dollars of um, benefits it provides. You know, without them, we won't have enough food around to grow to to feed a growing population. So that's one aspect. And the second aspect is our intensification of agriculture. You know, human beings, since we settled many thousands of years ago, um, we have been domesticating animals, cattle, and forming new breeds that are more docile, that don't run away as quickly, that produce more milk, that produce more meat, and so on. And also now we're, we're industrializing agriculture and farming to such an extent where we're artificially you know, whether it's artificially inseminating animals to artificially, you know, injecting them with hormones and antibiotics to make them more productive. We've commoditized nature 
to such an extent. And when it's more intensive like that, you get much more diseases spreading within your animal populations. And when people are working closely with these animals in intensive agricultural environments, these, these diseases can jump from animals to humans. So again, uh, you know, you look at things like avian flu and swine flu, which are zoonotic diseases that originated in animals that can jump to human beings. It, it causes problems and it's something that the WHO and others are always monitoring around, are monitoring closely around the world to see where will be the next source of the next pandemic. Now, it just so happens with the current COVID-19 pandemic, we, we were very unlucky in that the coronavirus could jump from humans to humans very quickly. And it was very, it's very transmissible as well. Now, if there's something else that's more virulent and just as transmissible, that could mean that the next pandemic is much worse. So it's in our interest to address these systemic root causes. One is intensive agri agricultural kind of industrial agriculture that's based on creating quite artificial environments in which we're growing kind of our, our crops, our um, animals and so on and dairy, etc. And we need a change of tact, essentially, for agriculture and, and how we use our land and how we use our and, and how we value nature and, and the services it provides us for free. Well, that's a very strong thought to finish on. Appreciate, as always, the time, Tanzine. It's a pleasure to have you on. Excellent. Thanks, Alex. And, and look, it's uh, the kind of thing that we at Earth Matters Consulting are really keen to help clients understand you know we live in a really complex world where there are crises which it's easy to look at it in a really narrow way and think oh my god there's a pandemic how do we make sure that people have masks people have vaccines people have um enough ppe and it's right to look at it in that way but also to right to look at it the fact that these crises are interconnected our loss of biodiversity the climate crisis that we're facing these are all crises we need to look at in an integrated way to make sure we stand the best chance of survival and thriving in the future and this is exactly what we at earth matters help our clients to understand and address I will link to your research, Tansi. So thank you again for that. And thank you, everyone, as always, for listening. We are going to have another podcast same time next week. Until then, take care. Goodbye.